0: It was the kind of event that all day, you know, is just the closeness of the families when all the kids were getting along. You know, as young, and my mother cooked fudge and cookies, and we opened our presents on Christmas Eve. And so the we were all stuffed. We had had warm family time. Uh, All the rest of the kids had gone up to bed. It had snowed earlier in the day, like about a foot, so it was like the perfect environment. All the kids went upstairs. So I was the last one up. And uh, you remember these kind of Christmas trees? Spindly silver things. Uh, and the color wheel. <laughs> the, the technology of the day was you had this bulb and this turned on a wheel. And you just, we just sat and just watched. It's like, I remember sitting on the stairs, looking down into the living room and thinking, this is a perfect day. And the tree turned yellow and blue and green, you know. A time when everything seemed right with the world at 10. Um, we know that it can also, this season, be the most discouraging time. We've heard a little bit about that already, even in the, from Sherry and the rest of us. There are Some seasons, some days... There is a profound sense of loss or pain, and it's overwhelming. And we're not celebrating, we're numb. I work now as a volunteer chaplain at the University of Colorado Hospital. I worked all all Thursday night, Thanksgiving night. I spent with six different families in six different hospital rooms at end of life. This is a different Sunday morning for them. But it doesn't have to be that. It can be just another Christmas alone Uh, or where a relationship has failed or a marriage has failed or a child in the past year has gone off the deep end or lost a job. I don't minimize that pain at all. But what I would like to look at this morning is that it is possible to have a different perspective. Even, it is possible to have joy even in the midst of pain. I was thinking even this morning, isn't, there, isn't it the tale of two cities where the first line is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. There's a sense in which I think we can identify with that. Like turning one of those kaleidoscope things where you, it changes a perspective, you, you see things differently when you turn the kaleidoscope. I think this is one of those passages that can bring, even in the midst of profound difficulty and discouragement, a real hope. You and I have reason to rejoice, even if it has been a very tough year or a very tough Thanksgiving. And it has everything to do with changing our perspective as we go along. Six gifts, I think, come from the hand of God himself in this holiday season. Six gifts from God, uh, probably better than I'm sure is going to be any better than any gift we get under the tree. Uh, And it is all embodied in Jesus. And I want to unpack that with us together. It's uh, six characteristics that describe Jesus that make him really the best gift possible. As much as stuff surrounds the holiday season and all the Hoopla, the fact of the matter is Christmas is all about Jesus and the profound gift that comes with him. We probably shouldn't skip over. It actually is a passage, what Josh and others have mentioned Isaiah already, 700 years before Jesus. It's, that passage comes out of a time of Israel when it was profoundly difficult. They were at the brink of going into Babylonian captivity. And uh, it was scary. They were facing very difficult times. Uh, It was a national emergency, an imminent crisis, and yet at the time of terrible threat, there's this hope that God says through the prophet um, God has not abandoned them. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. It'll be called these phrases. I'm sure they're not new to you. Wonderful Counselor. This is, this is a description of Jesus and why he is a gift to us this, this, this year. Wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If that, is fami- if that is so familiar to us that it's like living by the railroad track, I would invite us to take maybe a fresh look. Here's the gift. I want to unpack six of these gifts. Okay? The first one is this. comes right out of the text. I'm always trying to drive us to the text because I, I, I don't want you to hear this is, this is my devotional drivel about you know, uh, Christmas. The fact of the matter is the hope that we have, even in the midst of all the stuff that we're facing at this season, comes in the form of a person, a real human being, a person, a person, not a set of principles, not a philosophy, but all of our hope is rooted in a person who can sympathize with us, no matter what we're facing, who can empathize with us. Actually, this is set up a little earlier, uh, two chapters before, which you recognize as a Christmas verse. A virgin shall conceive and, name, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. How does that make sense? 700 years before when Israel is facing Babylonian captivity. What is the deal? The deal is this. Their hope from Genesis 3 on is tied up God's promise of a coming person who is going to fix the mess we're in. Do you get the significance of that? After the fall, when uh, judgment was being pronounced, this is part of it. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. It's God talking to the serpent. It's an an offspring of the woman who is going to crush the head of Satan that is behind all of the human misery that we have experienced. Years before this, notice, 700 years ago from now, here they are facing Babylonian captivity, How does God hold out hope for them that he has not forgotten them, that he has not abandoned them? He says, in essence, remember back in Genesis 3, there is coming a person who will deliver you. And that person in kind of a Polaroid, uh, misty picture back in Genesis 3 shows up here. So there was their hope, even in Babylonian captivity, is tied up in a child who is going to be born. Why the, why the difference between a, a child is born and a son is given? Because the son wasn't born, the son was given. God, Jesus the Son, has always been in existence, right? Since eternity passed. So he enters into the flow of human experience through the incarnation. And it's he who is able to identify with all that we experience. Does that mean anything to you? Whatever you have experienced in the past year? Is there anyone in the room that has not experienced profound pain in the past 12 months? He knows how to experience the good things of human experience also. Love and joy and friends and family and community and the experiences that we had around the Thanksgiving table. He was fully human in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make atonement for us. Not only the the joys can he enter into with us, he enters into the scary times as well. And I tell you, being, being in six hospital rooms with people who are, have either passed, laying right there in the bed, or in the process of passing, and the family around. Those are scary uh, times. Frankly, I speak now with scared people every day. Jesus has faced every experience of human existence. So he knows. Isn't there sometimes people say, "You, you just don't know what it's like? Jesus does. Jesus knows what it means to be lonely. Jesus knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what it means to have the death of someone close. He knows what emotional and physical pain is like. Actually, when I'm talking to folks in the hospital now, when I, when I talk to them about what, if they have a faith aspect to their life, how important is faith to them? they almost invariably default to the organization of a church. And I want to say to them, and I often say to them, I'm not talking, listen, I'm I'm pro-church. I'm not talking about your relationship with an organization. I'm talking about your relationship with God himself, that Jesus knows and experiences what you have been through, what you are going through. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us. For someone to know what we are in, what we face, is significant. And for Israel, who's facing an imminent invading army, that their families are going to be decimated, they're going to be taken as hostages in a foreign country. I mean, all the things that go along with that. uh, God says, I understand the one who will... I'm promising you, the promises to come... That there is one who is able to fix all this stuff and understand all of it. And whether it's an invading army or whether it's an invading disease, cancer or COVID, or a relationship that is deteriorating, uh, whatever the issue. uh, Does that sound trite? Jesus understands he has been there. Here's the second gift. He's a God who is bigger than any problem that we could ever face. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? The issue is if, if there's, there's coming a Messiah who will, uh, all of the weight of global government will rest on his shoulders. And frankly, I don't know about you, you turn on the news and the world looks like this, a big ball of knotted string, you know? Name the issues that we're not facing right now. I mean, oh my goodness, yeah. I had to write them down here. Climate issues, government issues, COVID issues. I mean, half of California is on fire and the other half is sliding into the ocean. Uh, Collapse of governments around the world. I I actually taught adjunct in Beirut, Lebanon, right after their civil war, and it's the most unbelievable devastation. That happens also around the world, even now. It's Syria. I watched. I watched a, I watched a special on. Uh, I think it was PBS or something on the Civil War. Talk about Thanksgiving in the Civil War. Do you know six? I think it's six hundred thousand people were killed in the Civil War. How many? How many in the uh, Twin Towers? Three thousand. Imagine 600,000, the slaughter that went on in the Civil War, the slaughter that's going on now in Syria. Around the world, COVID, devastation of all this kind of stuff. What's the deal? The promise is nothing is careening outside of the control of God. He is still sovereign. He is still under control of stuff, and he will still fix this mess. And uh, you can't read Scripture and see that leak out of every chapter. Right here's Joseph. We do, you know, we're in Bible study every morning at 7:30 online, and uh, here's Joseph in prison. I mean, he, here's a guy whose life has fallen apart around him. The betrayal, the sold into slavery, and all this stuff. What is he doing? God has taken him into the prime ministry. He ends up prime minister of Egypt, and out of all of that mess, reads Second Corinthians 11. And look at this kind of stuff that Paul went through. You know, where he just tied. Example after example of, of the kind of suffering that he was going through, how easy could it have been for Paul to say what we sometimes say? Is God asleep at the wheel or what? <laughs> Last week I hiked five days with a friend across Zion National Park. And uh, it's stunning, it's stunning. About 50 miles. Yeah. Stunningly beautiful. And as at night, you know, I mean, you walk during the day, it's stunning scenery as well. But at night when you look up and it's a, there's no lights anywhere, you know, for, you can't see, there's no light other than the stars. And you look up and you see this kind of stuff. And I think sometimes, at least in my own mind, I feel kind of like Job. Remember when things were careening out of control with Job, and Job thought God was asleep at the wheel. And for 36 chapters, he goes on just saying, you know, lamenting all the things that are going on. And finally, after 36 chapters, God (laughs) says to him, Job, okay, let me ask you something. Just hold your tongue a minute. Where were you when I stretched out this? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the universe? Where were you when I did all these kinds of stuff? And God lays all that stuff. I don't think he was harsh with him. I was saying, Job, listen, things are not out of control. It seems like it from your perspective. But the fact is, um, I'm at the wheel. I know what I'm doing. And just because you don't understand, listen, my grandkids at four and five years old sometimes don't understand a whole lot about life. Should they sit in judgment on us? Uh, Job finally says, You know, I just had to put my hand over my mouth and just be quiet because I'm out of my depth now at this point. Here's gift number three He's not only a human being who can identify with me, he not only uh, is in control. He's a God who is the wisest counselor ever. <laughs> does, does that mean anything to you? The one thing I've known about eight years of Providence is that we are uh, very much in favor of counseling. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, I, I sometimes compare it uh, like to a wrecker. You ever, you ever get your car stuck in a ditch where you can't get it out? Uh, at some point, you have to come to the conclusion, I need some help. That's what a wrecker's for, right? Sometimes we get stuck in our own lives, and our relationships or issues that are going on, and it's like, okay, I'm not able to figure this thing out. I need a wrecker. I need somebody to come alongside of me, right, and kind of help out. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Now, here's a caveat. Counseling is not magic. It's not... Uh, counseling is not automatically... Uh, a fix-all. There's purpose in it, it's recommended by God. We, we practice it around here. But like auto mechanics and doctors and plumbers and others, some are better than others, and some aren't very good at all. <laughs> Any counselors in the room? Listen, we recognize that, don't we? In every career path, there are those who are really good, and there are those who maybe are not all that helpful. Um, Jesus is in a category all by himself. Jesus Jesus would never get a grade, uh, would never get a failing grade on his role as counselor. Jesus never gives wrong advice through his word, through the role of the Spirit. uh, Jesus never says, "Mm, you know what, I don't know. I've said that, well, maybe I haven't said it verbally in counseling, but I thought it. And if any of you have done counseling, you know, sometimes people are talking, and you just say, I don't have a clue what I should tell you. Jesus is never in that spot. Jesus is a wonderful counselor, unfailing, flawless, perfectly suited to all of our circumstances, practical. He's never stumped for an answer. Jesus is never lacking in advice and know what to say. There's probably a whole sermon in there somewhere, but, but I think the point is that he is not simply a wise counselor. He is a supernatural, incredibly wise counselor. He is, he is wonderful. He is wonderful by his birth and by his life and in his miracles and in his interaction with people and in his ministry. In his death and resurrection, he is supernaturally wonderful. That's the idea of wonderful. So I'm never just simply at a loss, and 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 you know simply scan the folks around me, and then Jesus is just one of them. But now here's the thing: we have to be willing to submit to the direction of the Counselor. Um, and I think here is. Uh, the good thing that he is—he is not only the one who gives us good advice; he is the one who gives us the ability to carry it out. Let, let that sink in. He gives us not only the desire—he not—he not only gives us his wisdom; he gives us the desire to do it, and the desire and the ability to actually do it. To give us, Je- Jesus is not a a. Passive therapist sitting in a chair while you're laying on the couch, you know, just talking, and he, and he kind of nods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the stereotype that we have kind of counselors. He's not that. God, in Jesus, in the Messiah, He gives us the ability uh, and desire to live out what He tells us in His word, in the direction of the Spirit, context of the believing family. That's the difference. The difference, listen, a therapist and a counselor can tell us wise things, but they can't give us the ability to do it. That's the role of Jesus. That's the role of the Spirit. And so, uh, my son, my uh, tattoo artist son is taking on a new role in his shop up here. And uh, he not only tattoos, but now he's also going to be a, a coordinator, of whatever you call it, someone who coordinates the whole shop, you know. Uh, And so he doesn't have a computer. He's talking to my daughter, uh, and she says, Oh, I've got one. I'll scrub it off for you, and you can have the computer. Listen, here's what she's doing. She's giving him what he needs to do what he needs to do. But there's only one thing, probably, that we take for granted on that. If somebody hands you a computer, what do you need for that to work? You got to know how to use it, yeah. You also need to be able to plug it in. You gotta have it be. You have to be able to plug it into the power source. Plugging it into the power source is the essence of plugging. It's it's the, the equivalent of plugging into God. He he gives us wise counsel, but we need the power to carry it out. That comes by being plugged in in our relationship with Him. Power comes by knowing and submitting to counsel. A lot of powerless people who know a lot of scripture. You believe that? There are a lot of people who are very smart in the scriptures, but they're not really tied in, connected with God. And so they've got no power really to carry it out. I think that this is where people sometimes balk the most. It's like, listen, I'm all for Jesus who, is, who can identify with me and... Uh, Um, you know, is a counselor and all that thing, where they balk at, they're they're totally willing to allow Jesus to be baby Jesus in the manger, uh, where he is helpless and cuddly and, you know, a baby. As long as he's in the manger, as long as he's in the manger, he's not a threat. He's not a threat to my sin or my pride or my autonomy, but... To get to the point where I acknowledge him as the mighty God who is not only bigger than my problems and my counselor, he also gives me the power to obey. But I have to submit to that. I can't say uh, I want all of that, but I want, to be in the dri- I want to stay in the driver's seat of my life. Thank you. It is God who works in us to will and to act, not only to want to do it, but to actually to be able to do it. Here's number five. Comes right out of the text. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Has that ever been confusing to you in scripture? Because it seems like it's calling Jesus the Father. Now is Jesus the Father or is Jesus the Son? Or Listen, there's, there's an ancient heresy in the church that there's only, you know, God, it's God just taking on three forms. It's called modalism. You know, that. These three forms. In the Old Testament, he's God the Father. and the New Testament, he's God the Son. and the church age, he's God the Spirit. This profound heresy. The fact of the matter is there are three persons in the Godhead. And what this is not saying, it can't be saying that Jesus is the Father. Here's what it is. It, it, he is fatherly. The description of Jesus is not only this wonderful counsel of the mighty God, he is the he is the he is the fatherly one who cares for us forever. And of course, you have to have a healthy picture of what a father is in our minds, you know. Not everybody has had that privilege. But the fact is, Jesus is not the father. It's describing his character. He's fatherly. What does a father do? Well, a good father uh, has tenderness and sensitivity and is compassionate and provides security, and protection, and provision, and direction. All of those things are wound up in, in a good, kind, loving Father. All those things describe who Jesus is to us. You want a human example? A couple years ago, um, some, some of you remember, some of you remember uh, Greg Hall? When Greg Hall got married, Uh, The most amazing, I think, one of the most amazing wedding ceremonies I've ever seen. Because uh, Gigi had two sons by previous marriage. And in the midst of the wedding ceremony, some of you were there. he, He got down on his knee at their level. I wrote about this in this Advent. And this is what he said to these two boys. I love you. See if this sounds like what Jesus would say to you. I love you both so much. I love tucking you in at night, snuggling on the couch, wrestling together. I'm so proud of you both. For Jerusalem, your bravery, your compassion. Judah, for your loving and sensitive spirit. You're both going to be very wise, godly men. And to help you be all that God made you to be, I make to you the following promises. I promise to protect you. I promise to provide for you with God's help so that you always have enough. I promise to lead you well and be for you both an example of a godly man. I promise to teach you what I know about God, his love for you, and this life he has given us. And most of all, I promise to love you and your mom every day. I'm so excited to be proud to call you my sons. And when you're ready, you don't have to call me Mr. Greg anymore. You can call me Daddy. I was thunderstruck on that day that it was so beautiful. It has not escaped me. It has stuck with me that that's that's what a father is. And from a a human perspective, none of us are perfect, but to aspire to that, Jesus is the perfect fatherly caretaker for us. Number six the gift. In Jesus, the gift of peace. God alone can give you peace in your life. Uh, frankly, the, the understanding of peace can get a little muddy sometimes. We're not just talking about a ceasefire. When people talk about the ceasefire in the Middle East, it just means folks aren't shooting at the moment. There's not a peace. Peace in the, peace in the Old Testament is shalom, this comprehensive peace where all the things uh, are uh, dealt with. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a ceasefire at the moment. That is eternal, permanent end to the barrier and hostility between us and God. That is in Jesus. It's Jesus who also breaks down the barrier separating us from each other. If we have more time, we could talk about that. But we talk about that, frankly, all the time. Between Jews and Gentiles, even, Paul talks about this. He has... Jesus has torn down the wall of partition between things that separate people, race and culture and class. All that stuff is broken down. Of course, there's coming a day when there's no more opposition at all. The the world will be at peace. The nations will be at peace. But for now, there's there's a global kind of peace that has come, a universal kind of peace. But for now, where does the peace come? It comes in here. He's the one who is able to bring joy and peace and tranquility, regardless of what circumstances you are in. You ever seen this picture? This tremendous uh, number of forms of this, but this tremendous waterfall. What's, what's underneath tucked back out of the way of that? If you zoom in on it, it's a little bird's nest. And I think it's such such a perfect example of things can be roaring around us and yet be at peace where we're at. I would argue uh, the six rooms that I was in this week in, in several of the of overwhelming supernatural peace in spite of the fact that they were su- saying goodbye to someone that they loved. I'll finish with this. Those those gifts. Uh, we just have to be careful that we don't take those things for granted. If I were to, if I were to think about those kinds of things and yawn at the same time, <laughs> something's out of whack. Right? But really, the whole thing uh, is centered in the Messiah that is you know the polaroid picture that was so murky back there in Genesis 3 is in full development by the time you get to the life of Jesus and when Paul says it by grace you have been saved through faith it is the gift of god it's the the gift of it's he's the giver and the gift at the same time that is something to treasure at a holiday season he's empathetic he's wonderfully wise He empowers us to be able to do right. He's a compassionate giver of peace and eternal life. That's that's worth thinking about. Every year at our house, after all the gifts are opened and everything else, somebody says, uh, there's a gift missing somewhere. You ever have that? Where Where you didn't, the gift that you have, somebody didn't open it and you don't know where it is? He got lost in the wrappings or somehow the, the gift didn't get opened. Is it possible that we get too busy, we get too preoccupied with other things uh, in all the wrappings and everything else going on in life that we miss this offer of peace with God, salvation through faith? I would say these two things, just in in closing, if you have never received and opened that package, that gift, uh, dig to the wrappings and find out where that that gift is. That gift belongs to you, and you can open it, and it is yours. Many of us here have already received that gift. I would just say this is a season of Thanksgiving. You know, I think it would be good, number one, find another Christian and tell them what Jesus means to you this season. Get beyond the first easy answer. And then also, pray that God would give you an opportunity to talk with someone who has not yet come to faith and tell them what the gift of Jesus means. Don't tell them you go to church. Tell them what the gift of Jesus means to you. That's a good gift. That's a good package of gifts. And uh, I pray we wouldn't take it for granted. Let me pray for us. Father, we're deeply grateful for the fact that uh, you saw us uh, far from you in our rebellion. We had wandered far from you and had no interest in you even, and yet you worked with us and drew us to yourself gently, got our attention, and there was a time in which it made sense to us. Thank you for that gift. And I would pray that that would be the case here this morning, that we would be grateful for that if we have crossed over that line. And for those who perhaps have not crossed over the line, God, may this have been a a, uh, a fresh look at who Jesus really is and the, the kind of gift that he is. Would you do what only you can do? God, draw people to yourself. Give understanding and faith for the glory of Jesus. Amen.